Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. What's up? My name is Jesse Epperson Harris, named named after my great-grandmother. I don't know why my parents named me after a girl. Not very normal, but there you go. I'm going to pray really quickly, and then we'll rock and roll. Jesus, thanks so much for this wonderful day. We love your presence. There is just nothing like it. It is the best. We're so thankful to be here. I ask that we will be open to what you are saying today. And let everything that doesn't need to be remembered of what I say just go away. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we've been going through a series called Called To. So we've been called to healthcare, called to follow Jesus, called to business, which I was a little offended that I didn't get asked to be on the panel. Um, But that's okay, I've gotten over it. Um, And today I'm going to do, you know, I went back and forth on what I wanted to call it, but called called to follow the way of Jesus, called to the Sermon on the Mount, called to the Bible, is kind of where I landed. So pick whatever one you like of that. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just a normal dude. I, I well, I have a, a wife and four kids and really busy with work right now. So if the sermon's a little rough around the edges, I apologize. I do want to say, as I was walking out of Food Lion last night, late night run for milk so that our kids wouldn't wake us up. You know how that goes? Um, and God has always talked to me by finding money on the ground. And so sometimes it's like lots of money, and sometimes it's just a penny. Um, but last night I walk outside and there was a dime just sitting on the ground. And man, it made me so happy because... I've been nervous about this sermon for, for as long as I've known I was going to do it, which is about 10 days. And I think it's because I feel the weight of this sermon a lot, right? And it, the Sermon on the Mount is really intense. But on that dime, I always look at the date. And it was 1995. I usually take the last two of it and go read the psalm that's correlated to... So, 95, right? So, you can guess, I read a lot of Psalms 19 and Psalms 20 and Psalms 21 and Psalms 22. So, 95 is not the most common. And it says, and I really felt like this was from the Lord as I was reading that Psalm last night. It says, and if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart like the Israelites did at Meribah. And so, my ask as as I speak, today is just that you're open to what God is saying, right? That's all I ask. Don't harden your hearts to it. And as I prepared for this sermon, I think I've just felt this, like when we've had these panels up here, man, they spoke with so much authority, but all of them are really quoting tons of scripture. Because I really do believe that without the Bible, you can be a Christian and you can make it. Right? I don't think that, like, there's a lot of people that are illiterate 
that follow Jesus. So I'm not trying to say that this should be elevated above Jesus, which sometimes we can do in the church. But we do have this blessed benefit of having this book that just like Israel did, they all knew the law, right? They all knew essentially the five books of the Bible real well that they had. And so I want us to take this for what it's worth and use it to our advantage. So all I'm going to do today, this is just the book of Matthew. I've got little Bibles that break out the books, and then it's like one side has notes on it. So I'll show you all the notes that I have in for my sermon. Y'all want to see them? One line at the top. It says, upside down, inside out kingdom. And I'm just going to read the Sermon on the Mount, and I'll stop and pause. And hopefully I can make it all the way through, because as I've been praying about this this week, I would read this out loud. I've read it, I don't know, probably close to 20 times this week. And I would listen to it in my headphones as I walked. And I said, Jesus, what would you say about the Sermon on the Mount? I feel like you said, it's my pinnacle work. And I was like, man, that's, that's intense. But then I, he, I felt like he said, yes, the words are, but it is my life that I lived. It is my work. And so as I read it, I was, man, it just, it humbles me when I read this. So I'm just going to start reading and we'll, I'll pause and highlight some things. But my big ask of you guys is whatever the Lord's highlighting to you, take that, meditate on that, Right? So the first verse, seeing the crowds, he being Jesus, now that we're clued into who he is, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Some versions say his disciples came and sat at his feet. I just want to say that the disciples of Jesus release blessing and the word of the Lord if they are willing to come and sit at his feet. I don't know if everybody would have heard the Sermon on the Mount if the disciples would have simply just not come and sit with Jesus. So as, as, as we hear this and, and call ourselves the disciples of Jesus, it's so important that we are coming before Jesus and sitting and listening because through us, the word of the Lord is released to everyone. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be, or they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I'm not the greatest peacemaker in the world, me personally. I'm a pretty intense guy, super competitive. More than once, I have offended my friends deeply how competitive I am. It's not something that comes supernaturally to me to be a peacemaker, really. I just want to... And 
my business partner literally was like, how do I motivate you to continue to grow? Because I'm pretty motivated anyway. Just the other day, I just left a firm that I used to work for, started my own business. So funny. I just like beating the other guy that's trying to take over my office. And so he was like, dude, I just need to tell you to go beat somebody and you'll win. And that's who I am. But Romans 8 talks about, and I I don't want to be jumping all over the Bible. I'm going to say a lot of Bible verses, but I'm not going to read a lot of them. Romans 8 talks about that all of creation is crying out for the sons of God to be revealed. And it releases even creation into their destiny. Right? We've all seen the Chronicles of Narnia when animals talk. We know Lord of the Rings and and trees talk. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I'm not saying it's not. Right? If the sons and the daughters will rise up and really embrace being a son and a daughter, who knows what is going to be unleashed on this world? Right? It says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, that the eyes of the Lord search throughout all the earth to strengthen those whose hearts who are fully his. It blows me away. I go, he is looking desperately to find people to strongly support or to fully support. I don't know about you, but I want the full support of the Lord. But man, what's crazy is that it's whose hearts are blameless, are fully yours. As I go, man, that's, that's right here, man. This is, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the pure in heart, for you shall see God. Blessed are the blameless, for they will have the support of the Lord. Jasmine was so kind to ask for the verses that I wanted to share, and I, was, I thought equally kind that I didn't share all the ones that were rolling around in my head. I love the Old Testament. I think it gets overlooked a lot, but Isaiah 33 says, starting in verse 14, the sinners in Zion are afraid, trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? That's Jesus. Who among us can dwell with the everlasting burnings? We're just about to read that we're supposed to be a light, right? Who can? It's he who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, who despises the gain of oppression, who shakes his hand lest they hold a bribe, who stops his ears from hearing bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking on evil, the pure in heart. Who can dwell there? The one that will shut their eyes from looking at evil. Right, The one that goes, I don't want any part of this dirty business. I don't want this. He will dwell on the heights. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. His bread will be given to him, and his water will be sure. If we make it to chapter 6, it talks about don't worry about a thing. Don't worry about what you eat or what you will drink. And what's a great thing is if you lay chapter 5 ahead of that, and say, hey, if we can get these things right, all the rest of this stuff works out, right? Okay, I'll keep reading. I'm taking too long. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. 
Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I have to stop again. I keep thinking I'm going to move a little faster, but blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and blessed when others revile you and persecute you for my name's sake. I think we've totally missed this as a church. It's hard. I just left big-time corporate America, right, where I'm afraid to stand up for righteousness, where I'm afraid to say I don't think that lifestyle is the best lifestyle. But you know what? Every time I would do it, oh, that's not true. I'd wuss out sometimes. But it's because someone's wanted, as I read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, when it talks about Hey, man, if you've been angry towards your brother or your sister, you're a murderer. If you've looked at a woman with lustful intent, then you're an adulterer. I mean, I'm an adulterous murderer, really. And so when I, I can completely tell somebody, hey, I don't think that's best for you. Just like I don't think some of the things I do are best for me. But the good news of Jesus is there's mercy and there's grace. Okay, I'm going to keep moving. But hey, guys, do not be afraid to stand up for righteousness. And do not be afraid to stand up for Jesus. If you lose your job, well, guess what? Blessed are you. Blessed are you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Van referenced this. Last time, last week, and he, I loved it. He just said, aren't we supposed to let our good work shine before men? That is what we're supposed to do. I love it. I mean, I think that's, yeah, man. And so it's like, this is the only other note that I made for the sermon. What are the good works that God is calling me to? Ask him. He wants to tell you. And he's looking for a heart that is fully his, and he will strongly support you. Say, God, what are, the, what are the good works you have for me? I know you want to support me. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So quickly, I listened to N.T. Wright briefly on, just help me understand the book of Matthew a little bit, just the layout. He was reorienting essentially the Torah because this was written to the Jews. Matthew specifically was written to the Jews. 
So the Sermon on the Mount is Exodus in N.T. Wright's look. He's going, this is the new law. This is the new law. And what was awesome, he says, I'm not coming to abolish the law. I think he's coming to say, I'm setting the standard way higher. Right? And that's what's so awesome is, oh, Jesus is so brilliant. Because I think it's in like Matthew 21, he basically calls out the Pharisees for being whitewashed tombs or really good looking on the outside. I come to church every Sunday. I have my quiet time every morning. I say my prayers. But inside, we're rotting. I've been there. It's a terrible feeling. We're not made to be duplicitous. We're made to be 100% authentic and raw. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable for judgment. But I say to you, that these are the loaded statements. He'll go, it has been said, but I say to you, and then truly I say to you. When you hear the truly or but I say to you, those are usually like the heyo moments. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. I love that Jesus just doesn't mince words. He's real clear on this. Work out stuff with your brothers and your sisters. Because it can really come back and get you. Because it's so much easier to work out things on the front end. Here's a great example. Playing games, I don't know, with some friends. And, I mean, I won. No big deal. Playing Monopoly. But I could tell one of my friends that I was playing the games with, I would frustrated them. This is so minor. So minor. But... I called and said, hey, I, I, I just want you to know, I, I, if I made you frustrated or mad, I'm, I'm really sorry and sad. That was not my intention. And if there's anything we need to talk about, I'd love to talk through it. The friend responded back with, hey, like, I'm just working through things myself, and I hate losing and I'm not exactly sure how to handle these strong emotions that I feel. And you know what's awesome about that? It was a game of Monopoly. But what's amazing is, is there's this whole passage in the Sermon on the Mount that I'm probably not going to have time to get to. Maybe I'll jump to it. But, hey, don't, don't try to get the speck in your brother's eye until you've gotten the log out of yours. And what I love about it is if, if two people are coming saying, hey, I, I'm sure I've got a log. And I'm really sorry. I want to work through this with you. And, but then the other person has the same mentality. 
guess what? Now there's no tension whatsoever. But now, and that's minor. There's some really big things too. Me and my dad just had a really, really hard conversation. Right? It was hard. But when you fight and you really share the truth with one another and you say, I can't even worship the Lord until I've worked this out with my brother. I think that it opens up relationship. And when we're not walking in full relationship with our brothers and our sisters, I really think it's really hard to walk in full relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so Jesus is so interested in us handling our stuff with our friends that we, we, he, he, he really compares it to if you don't and you harbor this, it's murderous. Right? And so I, I, I hear a lot of just gossip and, and stuff that really could have been ended if, if, if two people would have said, hey, Jesus is way say, I'm going to go right to that person. I'm going to go work it out. Now, sometimes you get in a situation that you get there and you go, man, we tried to work it out, but we're both really stubborn, right? Or the one person that needs a little help seeing the log in their eye a little bit more clearly, and I think that's okay at times, you need to bring somebody else with you so you can get different perspective, right? Me and my wife have had a lot of those, especially early on. I'm over here, she's over here, we're both right. You know how those go, right? And the fact of the matter is, is we were both right and we were both wrong. But we needed somebody to help us see it. Because we both had big old logs in our eyes and we're swinging around each other. Okay. I'm going to hit some key verses because time goes by so fast up here. They tell you you have till 9.45, but then the time doesn't work out. They're like nine minutes, but that's only till 10, 11.35. And then you realize I probably misread the production order. All right. So Jesus talking about lust, saying, hey, if you look at a woman lustfully, you're committing adultery. I think that that's important to understand. Again, it's all about the heart. Right? Man, if there's any on this list that I'm the most guilty of, it's this one. I've got a long past that I don't mind telling you about over coffee. Probably not great up here. But I just say, man, I think when I read it, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. I think as a church, we have to start amping up our no compromise towards sin. That, that to me is what I read, right? I hear, hey man, whatever it takes to live holy, it's worth it to live holy. So whatever, I mean, in Romans 14, it says, leave no provision for your flesh, right? And I think at times we can get caught up in, in wanting to feel good or wanting to look good or whatever it might be. And we can compromise. And I think that we miss the mark when we compromise because, again, the pure in heart will see God. I would argue with you to the death that there's nothing better than encountering and seeing God. It's the best thing in the whole world. There's no emotional anything. There's no drug. There's no drink. There's no relationship here 
that can actually do what this relationship does. And so this is just where I go. I think we have to, oh, and the church just needs us. I mean, I mean the world needs us to be lights, right? And so I go, we have to start becoming these people that they look at and they go, whoa, you are a burning lamp. And I'm, I am guilty of not being this. I told my wife just two or three weeks ago, I said, man, I'm, I'm really grieved because I feel like I've missed it the last few years. Yeah, not months or weeks, but years. I feel like God has called me to be a prophet to the nations. Tumbling to say these things on a stage, right? People are like, who is this guy thinking he's going to be a prophet to the nations? I feel like it's been so clear, but I haven't taken up my call like I should have. I'm not living a life worthy of such a call. And that's what Paul challenges us to do. Hey, if you don't get some things, that's okay. Just live a life worthy of your calling, and the other stuff will get there. But the Lord was so gracious when I realized that. He said, don't worry, there's still time. There is going to be a time when there is no more time. But good news is, don't worry, there's still time. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him get a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual morality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You know what's crazy is I feel like that one of all of them have gotten the most highlight on the Sermon on the Mount. My granddad got divorced and he remarried. And he felt guilty his whole life. He felt guilty his whole life. And it makes me so mad because it's so funny. God's actually talking about the heart. He's not, it's, so, so anyway, he gets remarried and, and he feels like every time, he went to church, but my granny would never go to church with him. Because she had read that verse too. And she wasn't a believer, but he told it to her and they still got married. And so she would never go to church, and he always felt guilty. I said, hey, granddad, you know, there's three people that I can think of really quickly off the top of my head that had committed adultery in the Bible. The woman caught in adultery. We know that one, right? What does Jesus said? say? I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Do you think if she got remarried... That Jesus was going up to her and saying, hey, you remember this one? I'm, I'm, I'm serious. We have to understand the heart, in my opinion. I think we also have to understand the gravity that, yes, when you get married to someone else, that there is something that does completely take place where you become one. I'm not trying to undermine that. But I do think for some reason this passage has made people feel really bad. The woman of the well... Oh, no, don't worry. I know, you've had, I know you've had a few husbands, and the one you're with right now, you're not even married. But I think she was the first Samaritan to hear the gospel. I love it. I just love that Jesus is like, man, I'm here to redeem people. But he is laying a, a standard very high. 
going to keep going. I've only got two minutes, too much to get to. Oh, man. I'm skipping oaths. Um, retaliation. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other one and give it to him also. It then goes into love your enemies. I want to hit this super quickly. Hey, folks, let me tell you, if someone hurts you, Jesus' mentality was, hey, it's okay. Hey, they reset my time. I thought I read that right. So I just want you guys, I, I, I think we have a mentality that is much more the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? I do it driving down the road sometimes. Man, you cut me off, I'm going to go cut you off. Little. But I think as a church, I'm just reading what the book says, right? I don't actually quite know how this plays out. We had a neighbor that kept kicking my son in the place you're not supposed to kick a dude, you know? And I finally told him, I said, hey, man, if he does it again, you need to go punch him in the face. Now, do I think that was an appropriate response? I think it was needed, but I I wrestle with it. Because I want my life to align with this, and I want my kid's life to align with this. And Jesus said, hey, don't worry, I told him to take a sword too, just not the first time. Right? And I'm not saying my theology is right. Is Craig in here? I always get scared when Craig's listening to my sermon. (laughs) Uh, Oh, he just walks in the door. Bummer. All right. So, but I do think that we have, have, I don't think we as a church take near the somebody slaps you on the cheek, let them have the other one like we should. Right? Jesus, pinnacle work. When he's getting slapped and hit and beaten over and over and over and over, what did he do? He loved his enemy. And I just think it's so important, church, that we start looking like Jesus more than trying to look like this world. Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you that you have received, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must be like you mustn't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. 
Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I think that unforgiveness is one of the most detrimental things to our soul. I think it destroys us. I think this verse is one of those verses that puts the absolute fear of God in me. If you forgive others, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. I'm not making it up. I think it's a journey. I think it's a journey. Forgiveness is a journey. But there's no better way to ruin your own life than not forgive somebody. Right? It it, it wrecks you. You get so tied up on somebody else that you miss it. You miss your own life. As you start trying to forgive people, you should probably talk to Van because he's probably way more advanced in the counseling side. But what I do is I, until I start feeling relief, just say, Jesus, my heart still feels hurt and I still feel a lot of pain, but I do forgive them. I'm not going to hold them accountable for their sin. Doesn't mean I have to be stupid. Right? Doesn't mean that I have to go headlong and just act like I've forgotten about it. But it's not my right to judge them for their sin. Just like when the lady caught in adultery was thrown in front of the crowds, even the Pharisees, hey, who doesn't have any sin, they can throw the first stone. I'm out. I'm out. I think when you struggle with sin in order to be holy and you realize how unholy you are, it becomes a lot easier to forgive people. It becomes a lot easier to not judge people. Because, man, I'm telling you, I am so guilty. And Jesus is so kind. I think that's where I go. I'm, I've experienced so much shame and so much condemnation and so much guilt because I am guilty. I'm not going to act like I'm not. But he never gets mad at me. He's always patient. 
He's slow to anger and rich in love. And so it's so enjoyable to follow his way, even though it really sucks sometimes. But I think it's really important that we, 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 we've really got to forgive. So what I do is I just keep saying, God, I forgive them. I'm, I'm going to let them off the hook. You're their judge. I'm not. You're going to take care of it at some point. And I hope they actually get the same treatment that I get. I hope that you're so kind and loving towards them. Now, does that feel good in the moment? Not, not necessarily mentally, because I want to... I still have this. I'm working through, but I'm, I'm working through it before God. And then what's awesome is it actually does feel great, right? It actually really feels good to let people go, right? And so I don't know what it is that you guys have to wrestle through and what you have to let go, but I think it wrecks people if you don't. My mom is a perfect example of it. I love my mom, but she has been completely wrecked by unforgiveness in her life. Like completely. She's not even the same person I knew. And so that's where I go, hey man, gotta forgive. It's not worth it. Don't hold on to it. It's not worth it. And when you fast, I love that it says when you fast, not if you fast. I hate fasting. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who in secret, who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I guess we're going to be continued. So, you know, the staff is all on retreat. You can know if you see my face up here, it's because no one else is here. <laughs> and they're like, hey, this is our best. We'll, we'll find somebody. And then they, they, they can't, and so then they call me. Um, I think that when I read the fasting, the praying, and the giving, the repetitive theme is they've received their reward. But if you do it in secret, your Father in heaven will reward you. When you're living for a reward that no one else can see, it creates this bedrock of faith this anchor of faith. And I've got great, great news. Jesus is coming back. I don't know when. I don't know if it's in my lifetime. I don't know if it's in my kids, and I don't know if it's 10 generations from now. But I do know he's coming back, and I do know that I'm gonna stand before him one day. One of the last parts that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount is, I just got to read it. He said it. It's so good. If you haven't 
read the Sermon on the Mount or spent a lot of time there, I'd highly encourage you to do so. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We're all going to stand before him one day. He also has a parable about the sheeps and the goats, but the main thing is, he goes, I don't know you. I think the Sermon on the Mount has nothing about signs and wonders, but it's about knowing Jesus. It's about getting your heart right before him. And what's really cool is chapter 8 is riddled with miracles in Matthew. I think as we get our life right and live for one reward, everything else comes in alignment. And so I would challenge you to say, I want to know Jesus. Because I want to stand before him one day, and I might not be able to say I prophesied. I might not be able to say I raised the dead or even saw someone's baby toe healed. But I will get to stand before him and say, I know you. I know your heart. I know how much you care for me, and I know how much you care for you your people and I hope he'll let me in I feel confident that his grace and his love is enough but I also think he puts a very healthy fear in us that we've got to live a life worthy of him if y'all will stand it's always a relief when you start getting hungry and the band comes up you're like he's got to land the plane at some point right If you want to come and get prayer, please come and get prayer. If you want to just come up and say, Jesus, I've missed it. I have had to do that a lot. It's okay to just come up. It's okay to do it in your seat. Sometimes there's something about coming forward that's important. But church, if we can all just start going for this hard, just us right here, we'll change the world. We'll change the world. All right, Jesus, thank you for your love. I'm so thankful, Jesus, for your kindness to me and your patience to me. And I'm so sorry where I've not lived worthy of your call. But I want to today. I want to take up my cross today. And I want to follow you. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. Amen.